Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Tom Salemi. You're now listening to the MedTech Talk podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you've attended our uh, MedTech conference or our Ophthalmology Innovation Summit, you are uh, familiar with John Norris. Uh, his presentations are must-see. They're uh, chock full of great data. And uh, this year's presentation at Med- the MedTech conference in Minneapolis on June 1st was absolutely no exception. In fact, it was uh, probably more packed than usual. In particular, uh, John had some uh, great information that uh, analyzed exits from PMA track companies versus uh, exits of 510K companies. And uh, his findings were, were really fascinating. They, they, I think, raised some eyebrows, but also uh, raised some hope. So I want to uh, delve into that in this podcast. And uh, before I let you go, though, we are uh, continuing to post content from the MedTech Conference on our MedTech Conference website. Go to medtechconference.com to see what you missed if you weren't there on June 1st in Minneapolis. And now uh, let's hear from John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. John Norris, welcome back to the podcast. Great. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So you, you, we had you at, at both our uh, ophthalmology conference, our OIS conference, and our MedTech conference uh, on June 1st. And uh, I think you sort of uh, stole the show a bit, a little bit, with your presentation about uh, about well, your 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 presentation at OIS was broader, but at MedTech it focused obviously on MedTech. But your your look at uh, a comparison between PMAs and 510K exits, and and I want to get into that in in a bit, but it seemed to to run counter to conventional wisdom out there. So we always like to explore that, uh, th- those, those areas. But let's back up a little bit and, uh, and just talk a bit about the report you, uh, you just released. Uh, it's first half report on healthcare exits. Let's take a look at the, uh, at the device side of things. IPOs, well, I think we can have a very short conversation about that. I think that was right. the conversation we could have about IPOs. Uh, unless you have a crystal ball that tells you they're they're going to be popping up, so but let's look at look at M and A first. Okay, uh, how did M and A look in the first half of, of uh, 2017? Yeah, M and A M and A looked pretty stable um, overall. We saw you know five deals uh, that were acquired for more than 50 million dollars up front, which is you know if you double that to 10, that's a little bit down from 2016, but it feels like there's there's a lot of deal activity in the air. Uh, yeah, we, as we look at what's going on in the market, I, I continue to scratch my head a little bit at Medtronic. Uh, you know, they were our biggest acquirer over the last few years. And then in 2016, they did not acquire any venture backed medical device companies and they, they didn't do any, any acquisitions the first half of this year either. So really now we have, uh, J and J as a top acquirer who had two deals each in 2016 and, and two so far this year as well. So yeah, when, when you're missing a big acquirer out mm-hmm. there, who's been leading acquisitions for the last five years, that's, you know, that's a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Is that a natural flow though? I mean, do you think there's a time where you, 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 after eating so much, you need to sit quietly and digest for a little while, or do you think it's more than that? Yeah. Well, uh, no, I think I think that's probably a big part of it because you have you have the the, the acquisition of Covidian and Covidian really was the number two acquirer out there for small venture back companies. So you have the two top guys uh, getting together, and yeah, you know, yeah, there's there's obviously integration that needs to be done there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would have thought by this point we'd start to see some more acquisitive interest from Medtronic, and so far we just we just haven't. 
Are we seeing uh, a new class? Whenever when the Covidian Medtronic deal happened, everyone says, "Well, this will open the field for other mid-tier companies to emerge and to become acquirers." Is do you see that happening? Yeah, I hope that that's going to happen. But yeah. you know, so far, you know, most of the the deals that we've seen have been you know the big the big players, and then and then sort of one-off deals. So you know, these the folks have acquired uh, you know one company over the last couple of years, and that that certainly doesn't make a trend. But yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that there are folks out there that are that are actively looking at deals. And then when you look at some of the the companies that have are, are newly public companies and performing quite well, like a Penumbra or somebody along those lines, could I see them being acquisitive in the future? Sure. You know, they got they have a really interesting business. They're doing really well, and they got to continue to expand. So there could be some new names that jump on the list. But but so far we're not we're not seeing too much of that. Yeah, there are some, you know, there's some pharma names that sort of come into the the side, especially and the device side, especially when you're sort of talking about more of the drug delivery. And as I as I sort of look at those deals, if it's an already approved drug and it's sort of a delivery technology, I put those more into the device than the biopharma. So you see sort of, you know, Roche has come in and, and done some acquisitions on that side. So, you know, you do see a couple of new folks out there, but so far I'm not seeing any I'm not seeing the smaller, uh, you know, mid-level acquirers or, or small mid-level public companies coming in and, and doing much on the acquisition front so far. We'll we'll talk more about the the, the corporate inv- venturing programs uh, when we get into venture investing. But but as it relates to M and A, are we seeing a connection between strategic investments and acquisition? Or is it too soon to sort of to sort of make that connection yet? I've certainly heard that talk and you know, speaking with a number of the corporate folks, there's interest in in looking to find technologies where they can invest through their corporate venture arm, but also start to look at and mimic what we've seen in the biotech side. In the biotech side, you see a lot of corporate uh, venture investment that have an option to acquire. Mm-hmm. And I know we used to see that sort of back in the day for devices. But uh, we're starting to hear that type of talk again, where the corporate venture folks uh, on the device side are willing to entertain investing into these companies with an option to, to buy at a, at a certain uh, uh, development point. And we haven't seen that in a while. So seeing that talk is, is positive. Um, we haven't seen a lot of those deals mm-hmm. out in the market yet. And, and the ones that have been consummated in terms of the investment side have been labeled stealth. So it's kind of hard to keep track of those, sure. but the, the talk is out there. So we're definitely seeing more activity from the corporate venture folks. We had uh, Andy Weiss from Recore on a couple of weeks ago and talked a bit about their deal with Atsuka, which was uh, basically, I think that actually ultimately it did get a, an option to acquire, but initially they had an, an option for sales in Asia uh, for a device. Is that kind of emerging, that sort of pharma-ish, uh, you know, partnership in exchange for territorial rights for global distribution in Asia or in some other large international markets? Is that is that still an outlier or are we seeing that happen more? You know, I think that's an outlier from yeah. my perspective. I think there used to be that used to be done all the time, right, for the corporate venture guys. Oh, okay, we want to invest in your company, but we want these rights or those rights and options or things of that nature. And that you, you saw that quite a bit in the early 2000s. And then it went away. And I think it, it went away because uh, the other traditional venture folks uh, didn't want to hamstring the companies that uh, they were investing in. 
And, and I think having those options just made it more difficult to proceed with any sort of exit discussions with other folks. Mm-hmm. And so that largely went away. But uh, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, with, when we talk about you know, the investment community. Uh, the, it could be time for those things to come back because, frankly, the traditional venture device investor, uh, the number of, of folks who meet that qua- qualification have gone down dramatically. And that's that's a great point. And let's get into that one second. But I I don't want to give entire uh, ignore IPOs entirely, as, as although there's nothing much to talk about there. But what is your uh, what is your take of the IPO market? Obviously, there haven't been any IPOs, but uh, or anything of note. But what what is your sense of the IPO market for medtech? I think yeah, the the market is there for a company with uh, you know fifty million dollar revenue run rate and you know approaching. Uh, profitability. I think there's still a, a, a road for that, but you know that's that's my my perspective. I'm not I'm not an eye banker, and sure. I think those guys have a have a better lay of the land than I do. But it looks like that's sort of a that's the line in the sand for for trying to get out into the public market. And we've only seen a couple companies uh, do it. When Obelon went public last year, I thought maybe that was a sign for you know more IPOs as they as they were able to get out right upon FDA approval with very limited revenue. Uh, but we haven't seen any any followers uh, on top of that. So I think you know the IPO market right now seems really, really quiet on the device side. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation with John Norris to remind you to go to medtechconference.com and check out the video reports from our MedTech conference. If you were there and you missed the presentation, you can get, uh, get a wrap-up of the presentation and the panel discussion on medtechconference.com. If for some reason you weren't there, you can bring yourself up to speed and see why next year you should be in attendance. Now back to this conversation with John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. Well, let's get into to venture investors then. Uh, you did have a, let's see, tracking Series A, we'll start there. You had uh, 58 device Series A's in 2016. First half of 2017, you count, have a count of 31. Uh, so it seems like we're on pace. Give us a, your sense of the uh, the Series A slash first round investments for MedTech. Yeah, and I think when you, 2017 is looking very similar to what we saw in 2016, which is yeah you know, a number of of Series A deals getting done. The dollar size are small. Um, yeah, I think I think the median dollar size for device deals are around three million dollars for Series A. And what we're seeing is most of these deals are either undisclosed investors because we use pitch book data. And so, you know, a lot of times we'll look for deals where they at least have raised $2 million, which is our threshold for calculating it as a Series A deal. Uh, But if they don't list the investors, I assume that most of those deals are probably angel backed. So we're seeing a lot of angel backed deals, but we're also seeing angel groups continuing to be pretty active in that sector. And when you look at the more active investors out there, you have some names that you know you you hadn't seen before, like folks like uh, Karitsu Forum. Um, you have folks like Green Parks and Golf, um, which is an angel group out of Texas. So you're seeing a lot of of angel groups looking to to be more aggressive, and and they're doing that in Series A because the traditional venture folks are are not as active as they've been in the past. And I think you know from my perspective, you can almost count on yeah, one and a half hands the number of active uh, uh, venture capital firms that are doing Series A device deals. Yeah. And yeah, 
10 years ago that was maybe 25, 30 of those firms. What does that mean for the, the population of, of medtech startups? Do you, I know you're not looking at these companies super closely, but are you getting any sense of what type of uh, companies are getting funded? Are they more 510K oriented, more kind of jump shot shorter things, or are we still seeing big ideas being funded? Uh, I think we're still seeing big ideas being funded, but um, probably if I were to look at the, the data, there's probably more 510K focused companies mm-hmm. than, than, than PMA focused companies. And I think that 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 is a function of uh, the investors that are out there are looking to try and and get um, regulatory approval um, solved as quickly as possible. And obviously, you can't do that for a super early stage PMA company. Um, So what we've seen is most of the investors that are out there looking on the angel group side are, are actually looking for these companies to be more and more advanced in their in their product development. And so they want to try and, and take away as much of the regulatory risk as possible. And so it, it, it's just a, it's, it's a difficult time for your traditional uh, early stage device company because the, the folks that are interested want to solve for that risk as soon as possible. So they're pushing you to, to try and cobble together whatever funds you can to get as far down the path for regulatory approval as you can before they're interested in investing. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, while we are seeing you know decent number of these deals being done, it's just it's a difficult market out there. And I think you know the other thing to see to to, to take note of is that you are seeing more of these um, you know non-invasive you know remote monitoring type of uh, companies mm-hmm. that are being funded as well, which I think is pretty is pretty interesting. Uh, and, and these are these are what I characterizes sensor-based technology that's that's collecting data and, and passing that through. And I think that's kind of an interesting area where you're seeing some more of the, the, the tech-savvy investors say, hey, there's a way of, of investing in the, in, the, in the healthcare sector that's using the technology that I know about. Sure. And so we're seeing a little bit more activity in that area as well. Interesting. And just looking at the, uh, the list of most active investors in devices, as you mentioned, J&J is up top. Uh, some familiar names, some less familiar names. Uh, you know, Longitude's up there, obviously familiar name, GSK. But uh, tied amongst third, I see Green Park and Golf Ventures, which is an interesting one. I hadn't heard of that group before. But uh, there's, a, there is, yeah. there's a whole so new roster a, of new investors out there. Yep, for sure. So Green Parks and Golf is, is, a, is an angel group based in Texas. Uh, and it, so it, it's interesting to me you're seeing some, some early stage groups, um, but also some late stage groups, mm-hmm. too. Um, so you see the Green Parks and Golf, you see the Kritsu Forum, those are both angel groups, but you also see um, KKR, which is a private equity firm that raised a, a fund to invest in late stage device. And that you also see Deerfield, which, yeah, we've seen them invest in later stage device, but then now they've, they've recently raised a fund to invest in early stage device companies mm, uh, where they're probably going to be even starting some companies. So um, you're seeing those folks starting to look early, and I think they're seeing the opportunity where there's not a lot of capital out there for early stage stories. And so, if they can find things that are interesting to them, they're they're willing to fund it. And I think you're you're seeing seeing a couple firms like that that are sort of jumping in and looking to do more early stage stuff. And I think Longitude's also a uh, an example of of folks that are saying, okay, not a lot of that, not a lot of capital out there. There's an opportunity for us to one. You know, we pick the technology we like, we can pick the management team we like, 
we can we can negotiate a valuation that is uh, really uh, in our favor and and there's not a lot of competition out there. You don't you're not finding eight different companies all operating in the same in the same space. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that you can look at and say, hey, there's there's a great opportunity to invest in device. But other folks can look at it and say, well, um, if you look at some of the the the, the data for five ten k based uh, technologies, uh, you know, nine to ten years from close of Series A to get to exit is a long time. Absolutely. And and finally, let's move into the 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 thing I sort of highlighted at the top: your analysis of uh, of uh, the, the stage of companies or or the focus of companies that, that have been acquired. This was a, a presentation you you gave at OIS and also at MedTech, and the, the, the comparison between companies, uh, acquired companies had a 510K path versus a PMA path were, was really fascinating. And, and for our listeners, Will, I know you can't see the chart. Uh, we'll include a link to your report. It's on page 22. We'll also include a link to the video of the presentation you gave at the MedTech conference so they can watch it as well. But give us your, uh, give us your, your, your overview of, uh, of page 22. It's really fascinating. Yeah, happy to. I think it's a really interesting slide, and you know, it's it's one of those things, Tom, where you know you start to look at some of the data in front of you on a big Excel sheet and say, "Well, this looks interesting," and you start <laughs> to sort and look through, and and then these things sort of pop out, and that's kind of what happened here. And at, at first, what what got me interested was when I looked at the 510k pathway versus sort of PMA or de novo 510k that has clinical trials the stage at which these companies were exiting were, were really different. Um, and again, looking at this is the data from 2015 through the first half of 2017. And at the conference, I presented just 2015 and 16. So I've added the, the next half year in here as well. Oh, great. But for 510K, you know, 18 of the 20 exits for 510K pathway companies were already FDA approved. And when you think about that, you're saying, okay, well, then most of these companies have had to raise that commercialization round and and really had to, to ramp up revenue. But on the PMA side, with the 17 exits, only one of those deals were FDA approved. And so you're seeing these exits happening a lot earlier in the development stage than 510K. And, and while there's about the same amount of capital that's been invested in each of these two pathway uh, areas, the time to exit for 510K is, as I mentioned before, 9.3 years whereas PMA de novo 510K is five and a half years, so almost half. But the dollar amount that you can get for a PMA deal on the median uh, upfront dollar size is 240 million versus 510K, the median is 100 million. So you're getting, uh, it ends up being a 3.8X for PMA companies, which is a really nice exit. I and mean, if, that's, if that's the median number of those, of those 17 deals, you know, the investor's gotta be feeling pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what's really interesting is, you, so you look at 510K, you know, it's taking longer, the, the returns are not quite as good. Um, but if you look at PMA and examine that next to what we've seen in traditional biopharma, which most people will look at and say, okay, we've experienced just an amazing resurgence in biopharma and the exits are just amazing. And, and that's why everyone's putting money in there. You know, the, the, multiple, the, the multiple difference between the PMA deals and the biopharma deals is not big. The upfront multiple for PMA is 3.8x and the multiple for biopharma is 4.5x. And frankly, the upfront dollar amount that you get in PMA is actually higher on a median basis than biopharma at 240 versus 200. So yeah, you are seeing these, these, these 
PMA, so innovative devices, are, are getting really comparable exits to what we're seeing in biopharma. I think the big, the big thing in biopharma, just to be fair, is that there's a lot of money on the back end for those deals. Mm-hmm. So the total deal value uh, tends to be a lot bigger than what we see in the, in the device deals. But, you know, that being said, you have to earn into that. And, and you know, uh, that's, that's certainly not a bird in the hand. Oh, so if you look point. at bird in the hand in terms of the upfront stuff, uh, it, it's very similar between the PMA innovative devices and, and what we're seeing in biopharma. And so I'm hoping that when people look at that, they say, okay, you know, there's, there's, there's reason for optimism in the device, and there's reason to, to invest in new technologies that are going to change the way that, that, uh, that healthcare is being, is being delivered. And you know, no reason to shy away from a longer path because you can get to exit actually faster than if you were to look at doing an iterative type of product. And, and do we have a sense of, I think one of the points raised about this was, well, these are companies that acquired. So these are the wins. These are the successful investments. But does it suggest that people who are investing in PMA are, are doing well because there may be a lot of PMA companies that aren't being acquired and therefore haven't been successful investments? Uh, how do you address that sort of, uh, sort of question? I mean, I guess you have to compare Apple to Apples, two Apples. But uh, what, do you, what do you say to those who say, well, these are, these are the acquired companies. These are the winners. But... It doesn't really speak to the opportunity overall. Yeah, well, I think you, know, you, you take everything with a grain of salt. Um, you know, it's really difficult to try and measure and track where the, you know, the, the non-wins and the, and the walking right. dead companies and, the, and, and trying to try figure out what that actually looks like. But I will say in talking to investors, uh, you know, this, this slide really, really speaks to them. And a lot of them are, were actually... Um, were were interested and 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 actually uh, not not that happy to see it because they're like hey we we know this is happening and that's why we're investing this way don't show this to everybody or else everyone's <laughs> going to jump in and take away take away our deals but yeah it's it's been interesting at least uh, three different firms have asked uh, to to use this uh, slide in in talking to their LPs either as they fundraise or to to show some of the data that sort of coincides with their investment philosophy. So folks are doing it. Um, and, I, and I think we are seeing successes out of it uh, in terms of innov- investing in innovative uh, device technologies. But yeah, really hard to, to, to look at the world as a whole and say, yeah, overall, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you look at the, the companies that have been successful as well as the companies that have not, what that looks like, um, you know, trying to boil the ocean is difficult. But when you do look at the the deals that have that have been consummated, yeah, the numbers uh, speak for themselves. Terrific. Well, we always enjoy getting uh, getting this overview at our conferences and on the podcast. And I appreciate your uh, taking a few minutes. And, and let's chat again in uh, in six months or so when we can talk about 2017 as a whole. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it. And that is a wrap. Thanks so much, John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. Great to have you on the podcast. Always great to have you at our events. But uh, either way, love to share your information, your perspectives on MedTech. And I think the uh, 510K PMA comparison is, uh, is certainly one worth pondering. Thank you, podcast listeners, for joining us. Do shoot me an email. I am at tom at healthag.com. That is the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Love to hear from you directly. Let me know what kind of questions I should be asking folks like John or what kind of people I should be talking to. We'd love to get your feedback. Also, give us a ranking on iTunes if you would. It does help people find the podcast or whatever platform you're listening to. Finally, just tell your friends. It would be a great help. And that's a wrap. 
Tune in next week for another tale of innovation. Thanks for joining us on the MedTech Talk Podcast.